Hi, my name is Jean-Paul Baran, President of Focus on the Family Canada. Hurting families regularly turn to us looking for help with the challenges they and their kids or grandkids are facing. Through the support of friends like you, we can help these families deal with issues like anxiety, depression, family conflict, and more. Will you donate today? Your donation will equip families to face these and other issues that they need help with. To donate, visit focusonthefamily.ca. Hey, this is John Fuller with a Focus on the Family programming note. One of our best of 2021 broadcasts features Dr. Meg Meeker, and it's called Navigating a Toxic Culture with Your Daughter. We'll invite you to listen online or watch it on YouTube, and the link is at focusonthefamily.ca. Today on Focus on the Family, why finding the perfect formula for parenting your kids is not a good goal. Parenting is not like math. It is like sailing. You, you know where your goal is, and you kind of have to tack left and right. There's lots of things you're going to do wrong, and much things that you should have done that you didn't do. But all of us are that way, and what you're aiming for is good enough, and especially as Christians, it has to include recognizing that, thank God, this is not my job primarily. Jesus is with your teenager even more than you are. That's Dr. Ken Wilgus, who specializes in helping parents and teens navigate the transition from childhood to adulthood with greater success. He's written a book called Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, in which he describes a novel approach to parenting, something he calls planned emancipation. Dr. Wilgus is a psychologist, author, and podcast host, and he's back with us today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, we had a marvelous conversation last time with Ken and his two uh, co-host moms, Jessica and Ashley, uh, describing some better ways to interact with your teens. And I just want to say, Gene and I, uh, when we read the book a uh, couple of years ago, really changed how we parented. And, and I would gladly endorse this and say this is one of the best parenting books that parents can get their hands on and we've put it into play and it made a dramatic change in the way the boys related to us Mm -hmm. and the whole construct of emancipating these teenagers giving them more responsibility trusting them to do what they want to do with it is really tough in fact i'll give you an example we had you know the senior year dr ken said you got to really let your teenager decide if they're going to go to church with you and we were like what are you insane Mm -hmm. and uh, we said that to Trent and uh, it shocked him at first and but I would say it really turned him more toward us than running from us, which is really the You gave him room proof. to yeah. make the choice. The proof in the pudding. Yeah. And so I, I really want to encourage you to lean in and listen today and then get a copy of this great book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, and we'll give you all the details in a minute. Well, I'll give those to you right now. Uh, it's focusonthefamily.ca or 800, the letter A and the word family. And uh, you'll also find a link to the previous conversation, the first part of this conversation, which is invaluable. We really do recommend that you uh, look for that. And uh, Dr. Wilgus is a psychologist, author, and speaker, and he's joined by his uh, two colleagues who co-host the podcast with him, Jessica Pfeiffer and Ashley Parrish. Well, Ken, Ashley, Jessica, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having us. We we covered a lot of ground yesterday, and and folks, if you missed that program, go ahead and get the smartphone app or go to the website, and you can hear yesterday's program. But let's kick it off uh, today, where I'd like to start with some of the common parenting mistakes that you've seen, Ken, and what we should be doing instead of what we are doing. And maybe you could just start there. Why do we parent 
probably the way we were parented, even if it didn't work well. Why don't we stop and ask ourselves that question? Well, you know, <laughs> in, in, especially since most of us um, didn't love our adolescents uh, growing up, so it is funny that we don't actually think of it more often, like, hey, do I want to keep doing that? But what are the alternatives? So the the families that I work with are involved, caring families. Uh, you know, it takes some time and money to come see me. And so the most common parenting mistake of those parents, and very, probably many that are listening, is trying to still use childhood parenting techniques with teenagers. That's basically what happens most of the time. We have always done this. He never liked cleaning his room. We used to have to remind him a couple, three times, but he'd get up and he'd go do it. But Dr. Wilkes, now he's 14. He has a hearing loss? I, I don't know. We, <laughs> we yell, we keep saying, and he just ignore. What is this? Well, it's called adolescence, and it is common for parents not to recognize that that is a distinct stage of development that is at the early part of adulthood, not the later part of childhood. So that's the most common yeah. mistake I see. And it kind of leans toward where I wanted to go, which is the have-tos versus the advice. And sometimes yes. as parents, I'm guilty of this. My advice is really a must-do. But I say it in a way that's a strong recommendation. You're making speeches, so aren't told, you, Jim? Yeah, yes, basically, yes, I'm are. very confusing for my teenager to understand, what is it you want me to do, Dad? Just say it. Well, you know, it, it's worth thinking about almost everything that comes out of your mouth. A teenager is going to be kind of trying to put it in one of two categories. Is this something that is advice or is this a have-to or about to become a have-to? And that's a lot of why you get the defensiveness. So it's really important to get good at communicating that the thing that I'm about to tell you is advice. Or the thing I'm about to tell you is a have-to, as in if you don't do it, there'll be this consequence. But... The bulk of what I think parents are really trying to talk about is actually advice, but they want to put it in firm, (laughs) I've lived a while tones that they think will help remember. But, you know, the thing that I always remember is that one of the episodes of the podcast, I interviewed my children. They're like 32, 30, and 25. Oh, that's gutsy. So (laughs) it was. And I said to them, so as you know, I recommend to parents to not make speeches. Did I make speeches? And all three of them went, oh, yeah, you made speeches. So grasping, we talked about okay, hold it, hold grasping it. at straws. What were you expecting to okay, I, 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 You're right. I, it was a softball. I didn't know. I was hoping something better. So I, I reached for the last thing, which was, well, do you think my speeches helped you? And one of my children, my middle sweet one, the good one, you know, said the most this. lovable yeah, one. The, you know what I mean? She said, well, Daddy, I remember that you made speeches. I don't remember anything you said in your speeches. (laughs) So I've always kept that in mind that parents love to quote themselves in these communications that are really advice, but remember that those kind of things, they don't remember it. But if you give it as advice, if you start by saying, listen, can I just tell you, this is your friend and you're old enough, you you choose your own friends. But, and maybe this is just me, but I just think, you know, since they got into cheerleading and you didn't, I just feel like they don't treat you with respect like before, but that's up to you, and maybe you should ignore that. That's actually a better way for them to hear it than to try to go the hard route, which is, listen, I know a few things, and that lecture stuff gets turned right off because you can't make me, and so it's much more effective to talk like that. You you use an analogy, just to get back, because I think, again, we need to underline this about our speeches as parents. I've tried to refrain from that. I try to do the advice thing. I do the best I can (laughs) when I get a hold of that that nerve into my tongue there. But uh, you mentioned the raft analogy, 
I think we as adults need something to hang on to. What's the raft well, analogy? I've, you know, I've told many parents that are doing, again, often what they think is God's work of I am continuing to teach, teach, teach. And and my favorite is, well, what did what did she say after you finished saying that? Um, nothing, but, but you could tell. And I'm like, no, what, what's happening is that you are uh, basically on a raft way out in the ocean, just about <laughs> to cross over the horizon, and they can barely hear this blah, blah that you've been saying now for the last 17 years, and your, your chance of being heard at all is just about gone mm-hmm. if you keep doing this childish technique of teaching, demanding, controlling. If, if you want to be effective, you have to rethink how you communicate with them, if you want them to hear them. That's so true. Jessica, I want to bring you into this discussion. You described how you were indulging uh, your kids, maybe too much, even to the uh, detriment of your marriage. Mm -hmm. Explain the circumstances, if you will. And I think a lot of women particularly are going to connect with this. So how were you sacrificing marital time for teen time? Well, I think that parents of four kids can relate, or even two, one or two. You start filling your time with, you know, the kids want to be involved in a sport. The kids want to be involved in this leadership opportunity at school. The kids want to do something with youth group. All of a sudden, you look at your calendar, and it is completely filled with activities of all the family members, and there is absolutely no time for you or your husband to be together. There's no time to connect with your family over the dinner table. You know, you've let it all go. And I think, especially this year with COVID and a lot of staying at home, people have kind of regrouped and said, uh-uh, no more. We're not doing this anymore. We're slowing things down. We're going to shut down some of these these options here because we, we need that. Uh, but it, it definitely, being overindulgent really sacrificed my marriage time, but it also put a lot of tension between my husband and I because we didn't agree on how many activities the kids should do. We didn't agree on what they should be a part of. I was wanting them to do everything. He was pulling back and saying, no, this isn't good for our family. And and how did you come to agreement? Mm. Did you just lay down? No. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. I mean, some <laughs> no. wives would feel like, well, he's just having me capitulate. But did I, you want to say, okay, I get it? No, I think at times I was exhausted and I saw his point. And then other times I was, no, I can do it. I'll just pull myself up by my bootstraps and we'll make it happen. I'll figure out another way. Because you're super mom. I want, I want the kids to do all these things. These are good things. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, I had to, and I still struggle with this. This is not, this is an ever present problem. But uh, I had to say, okay, look, this is a, this relationship with my spouse is going to keep going when these kids move out. And I've got to prioritize his needs and our family time together more than I do my kids' agendas. And this is, you know, this is all in that area of entitlement that we talked about last time. Again, if you missed it, get the download. John will give those details in a minute. Um, Ashley, let me turn to you. you. You mentioned a strategy for countering that entitlement by serving others. I think that was something that you've talked about on the podcast. So ha- why is that important to get your teens to think about other people? I mean, are you serious? Do you know my teenager? All they can do is think about themselves. Well, I think that's always been something on my heart. I was raised by my grandparents, and my grandfather was disabled. Oh, and so man. from the time I was little, I was constantly helping my grandparents do daily activities, helping my grandfather get to the restroom, helping my grandmother in the kitchen and serve him. And... So I always had eyes that were looking out towards others, and it always filled me with such joy to bless others. And so becoming a mother and having seven children, 
I am with them and I serve them and I am nurturing to them. And we have a mom and a dad living in the home, raising these seven children. And so they don't have the same experience I did. And so it won't come natural to them like it did to me because it was an everyday thing in my life. So I have got to be intentional about creating opportunities for them to look outside their self and serve others. And we do that in all sorts of ways, but it's always a top priority for me. Yeah, let me let me ask you that because one of the things, uh, and I'm sure saying this in front of Dr. Ken will get me in trouble here, <laughs> but you know, one of the things, I had a rough childhood mm-hmm. as well, orphan kid, all that. So I thought, you know, my kids are not going to have to suffer those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that I've overindulged them. I'm looking at Ken now. So much He's giving me that eye. So much trouble. You know, for example, I didn't get a chance to go to Disneyland. So right. how many times do you think my boys have gone to Disneyland? Twenty mm-hmm. right. something, yeah. and they're twenty. Right. <laughs> so you know, that's part of it too. We can, especially with our backgrounds, we can overcorrect. Mm-hmm. And what's the danger of that? It, it sounds good to me, Doctor Ken. Well, you know, it's like so many things. It feels like this is going to be good for my kids. But actually, it was good for you back when you couldn't have it, but it may not be good for your kids. So it's, it's not always wrong, right. but you have to be careful about are we really serving our kids? And like Ashley mentioned, you know, it was an important thing for her to know that serving others actually brings joy. But if you take all of that on and I'm going to serve my kids and not give them the chance to serve others and or even me, then you're kind of hoarding all that joy. You have to uh, really meet your kids where they are. And in your case, for example, the reason you're in trouble is because you want to be careful that it's very tempting, but the idea of I'm going to give them what I should have had often isn't really what they needed at the time because, you know, your kids were raised better than you were. You've mm-hmm. given, they've been given a different experience. No, I so appreciate that. But that, that is one of the traps we can fall into. We justify mm-hmm. that overindulging. And we say, well, you know, it's it's my love for them. It's, it's exactly. <laughs> You've got right. just my love. I've got right. all the words. In Disneyland. Can, I, I, share, Disneyland. can I share a story about mm. how I teach my children to take their eyes off and how do I do it with a teenager? Yeah, yeah. So we recently, a year and a half ago, moved to a small town. And in our small town, there are some needs of children that attend school with my children. And I'm passionate about serving those needs for those children because I remember with my growing up with my grandparents that I would look at the other children and what they had and I got would get secondhand things and I was thankful for them. Mm-hmm. And so as a grown adult, um, you know, we have and so I want to serve the others that need. And so recently we had a coat drive for children in our neighborhood and our community. And we had bought our children a lemonade stand we had it made for them and the purpose of the lemonade stand was never for them to make a profit but to find ways to serve other people in our community and it was funny because my oldest son uh, mentioned I need to use that lemonade stand (laughs) I want to make some money because there are things that I want to buy and my six-year-old one of my six-year-old twin girls said that's not what we do with that lemonade stand mom makes us use it for charity (laughs) 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 so we had a coat drive where we made hot chocolate and so if you brought a used a gently used coat or a new if you would like then you would get hot chocolate for free And so we set up our stand, we decorated it, it was really sweet. And I told my teenager, I said, hey, listen, she asked if she could go somewhere. I said, hey, listen, you can can go there. Remember, that's the day that we're having the hot chocolate stand. Um, I said, but you're a teen, you don't have to be involved if you don't want to. And she missed out on her 
event that she wanted to go to with her friends so that she could stay home with us and serve. See, that's exactly right. If you had done the same thing with no, this is coat drive day. Remember, since you were eight, then you invite a kind of pushback, Mm -hmm. but respecting that, listen, at your age, and the younger kids will hear this. Right then you can make your own choice. That it, it handed her self-respect. That's perfect. That's yeah. Exactly mm-hmm. right. It's your choice. Exactly. Yeah. Our guests today on Focus on the Family are uh, Ashley Parrish and Jessica Pfeiffer and Dr. Ken Wilgus. And we've got Dr. Wilgus's book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You. Uh, just stop by focusonthefamily.ca or call 800, the letter A, and the word family. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Give the kids in your life a faith-building gift that keeps on giving. Focus on the Family Canada's kids' magazines are filled with fun activities and biblical truths about the God who loves them. Clubhouse for ages 8 to 12, Clubhouse Junior for 3 and up, and Brio for teen girls. Every subscription helps support families across Canada through biblically-based guidance, resources, and prayer. Take the stress out of the holiday shopping this year. Entertain your kids and support families. Visit shop.focusonthefamily.ca. This is the sound of the staff here at Focus on the Family Canada every weekday morning at 9 a.m. Petitioning God for those with crisis in their marriage, for those who want to become better parents, and those who are lifting up loved ones to the hope that one day they will know the salvation that Christ has to offer. We'd love to hear from you too. Call us today with your prayer requests at 1-800-A-FAMILY or email us at prayer at fotf.ca. Do you love the ever-changing field of digital and content marketing? Can you take the spark of an idea and turn it into a full-fledged campaign? Named one of the best Christian workplaces in Canada, Focus on the Family Canada is looking for a full-time integrated marketing manager to join our dynamic team in Langley, BC. If you or someone you know feels called to use their marketing skills to serve families, explore current job openings today at focusonthefamily.ca employment. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Let me go back to something we often address, and that's building your teenager's faith. I mean, we believe the measurement of faith is how often do you go to church? (laughs) Not so much how do I read the Word and put the Word into play, right, which is really the goal, understanding, embracing the Word. And I think many uh, parents are terrified that they're, you know, they're good Christian kids, all this investment for 13, 14, 15 years and going to Bible study and doing all the right things. All of a sudden, they're going to not do those things if they're given a choice, Dr. Ken. That's right. So, I mean, wow, let's just keep going with what's brought us to the dance here. They haven't here. said anything. Let's <laughs> just hope they don't notice. Right. Keep doing it. And so often what we hear at Focus on the Family from parents is that our kids were generally good. Now they've gone off the rails. They were doing everything so well. What happened to them? And that can happen at 17, 18, or as soon as they get those freedoms, maybe when they go to college, their right. first year in college right. ends up being a disaster because they've gone from a, a really clean living environment, and I mean that spiritually, to a dorm room at some school that all things are happening around them, and they get sucked into and that. And they're not prepared and to they're not stand prepared. for themselves. So address that. That's a broad question, but address that approach, and how do we... How do we help kids own their faith before they leave the house? Yeah, it's probably the pinnacle method or, or reason that planned emancipation is there, is that that's where things can be the worst, is that as parents, Christian parents, the idea of saying, hey, you don't, 
it's between you and God now, whether you go to church, seems wrong. I am here to, in my family, we're going to go to church. That just seems like the thing you hold on to. But depending upon the research that you look at, 60 to 80 percent of high school involved Christian church kids completely fall off the spiritual map after they leave home. Many of them will come back, but why do they leave? Well, there's various reasons, and the faith is not an ideology. It's not what you teach. The Spirit has to give it to you, so that's uh, important to keep in mind. However, the teenagers and young adults I've talked to, many of them, when they no longer participate in the faith after they leave home, it's not even because they've got some big rebellious streak. It's like, yeah, uh, what happened to you in church? Huh? Oh, no, yeah, Ma, I do when I come home. But it, like, never occurred to them that this is not a thing that your parents do now. It's yours. So it's very critical that at the very least, the spring of your senior year, if not senior year, it's really important that they hear that in this house, you've grown up, and this is between you and God. And as we always say, giving that freedom then should open up the ability to actually communicate about it. So that a month later, when still not going with us, okay, dude, uh, you can take him aside and say, so does this bother you at all? Because, you know, it seems weird. We thought you were a Christian. What do you mean? Of course I'm a Christian. Um, I don't know. You you can't really say you're in the Dallas Cowboys team if you don't go to the practice, you never show up to the games. I'm not sure if that, you know, that's much more jolting than get up, go to church. It's It's a real discussion of, well, what is your faith then? Because what you're showing looks like maybe you don't really have it. That's way more effective than check the box. I did the parenting thing, made my kids go, and we were always there at church, and we looked really good. Wow, that's interesting. Now, as mother practitioners, let me go (laughs) to Jessica and Ashley to get their experience with that. Uh, Jessica, you have older children, too. I do. So how has that journey been, the faith journey, as you've let go and let them own it? Well, I think that the real problem with parents is the pride gets in the way. You really want your kids to turn out, and they reflect poorly on you. If they're not going to church or if they've fallen away or they're living in a way that is unwholesome and uh, unholy. And so I think as a parent, I've had to drop that pride and say, I, I, I value authenticity. I want my kid to be honest with me. I don't want them lying to me when they go off to college and say, oh, yeah, yeah, mom, I'm going to college. I'm in a Bible study and not not really being their their true walk. I want to be praying for them. And my husband and I have had some experiences with my oldest that were heartbreaking and hard, particularly his freshman year of college. Um, and my husband said to me, we we know a lot. He tells us everything. And I said, I'd rather not. I'd rather be naive. And he said, <laughs> he said no, you know what? You don't want to be naive because then you wouldn't know what to pray for. Um, and I think that's really as a parent where we, we want to have our eyes wide open. And that only happens when you're not trying to control the situation, when you're letting them have the discussion with you that may be exact opposite of your faith and your beliefs, yeah. you know, but, but still opening the conversation and loving them through that and continuing to pray for them. That's so good. Ashley, how about you? Have you experienced those uh, transitions yet with faith and Well, my oldest is 14, and so she was pretty upset about something, and I kind of talked to her and reminded her. I said, you're God's first, remember? And I just kind of reminded her. When she was younger, she got this this T-shirt and said, God's girl, and she wore that T-shirt out. I mean, (laughs) I could barely get it off of her to wash it. But just to remind her of that now as a 14-year-old facing trials and and issues with her friends in junior high, it kind of just reminded her of, that's right. That's who I am. 
That's who I belong to. And that was so much more impactful than anything else I could have come up with. Yeah. And Ken, I'm mindful. We're coming down to the end of day two here and uh, kind of the wrap-up moment. And I'm thinking of those parents. This has been good. We've talked a lot about letting go. But I'm thinking of those parents that had to let go because they never really had control at 15, 16, 17. It's been a difficult path. Mm -hmm. And it's harder than what we've been describing here. They're maybe 20-something now is walked away. And, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. One is self-determination, right? That's right. That person has a free will. God gave your child free will. And they can exercise that. And hopefully God will use all those experiences to bring that child back, and that's something you mentioned a moment ago, Ken, that a lot of the research, yeah, 60 to 80% of that 18, 19-year-old group will walk away from the faith, but about 50% by 30, 35 will actually come back. That's right. And that's great news. But um, it's still hard. You know, mm-hmm. you're, they're still suffering that they have that 20-something now who isn't talking about God. That is a prodigal. Mm-hmm. And let's face it, there's a lot of things in the culture that can pull on our adult children, on our teen children, to get them away from a God-centered life. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's sexual or drugs or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the right place to end here, Ken, is with that word of hope for that parent and maybe what advice you would have for that parent, and just imagine that 20-something prodigal son or daughter. What do you say to them? You know, I talk to a lot of parents who are aware that, you know, adolescence for their children is an important spiritual journey. But it's really important for parents to be aware that that stage of parenting is a spiritual journey journey for parents as well. So we tell our children that we trust in God and that our confidence in our relationship with the one true God is through Jesus, and yet we flip out over stuff. And often uh, what happens with a a kid that is sort of off track but also doesn't want to talk to us as parents, that it it can be very powerful and a big part of your faith to come to that 20-year-old and say something like, listen, you know, I talk to you all about my faith, and I know you get tired of that, but I got to let you know, I think there are times I have not shown that, and and I've been all scared, and really, a lot of times, uh, we've talked to you in a way that we were trying to be helpful, but I think we were disrespectful, and we sounded like we thought you were still a child, and we're really sorry about that, and, and if that seems that we don't respect you as an adult, we want to take all that back, especially since, and again, I know you don't believe all this, but... Our belief in God tells us that you know you're you're in His hands, and so we really want to make sure that we've been clear with you. Mm-hmm. That kind of humility and 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 truthful statement, you have to first pray that through. Uh, I, I think it's important for parents to know the window doesn't close on that. Yeah. That you can start wherever you are right now, and, and and kind of start to reconnect through real humble and and repentance from again from a an adult's viewpoint can look like I know you were trying to help but you really made me feel disrespected and you can take ownership of that as a parent and it can had it many times very powerful such great parenting advice and encouragement from our guests today and we appreciate the expertise of dr ken wilgus as well as the practical examples that jessica pfeiffer and ashley Parrish provided and john i really hope our listeners will get a copy of this amazing book feeding the mouth that bites you dr ken has a brilliant approach to parenting and i think it's something every mom and dad needs if you want to raise healthy godly children order your copy from focus on the family canada and when
when you do, those proceeds will help encourage and strengthen other families all across Canada. We so appreciate your generous support, especially now at the end of 2021, because if you haven't heard, we have some special friends who have provided Focus with a matching opportunity, which means that anything you can give right now will be doubled. When we work together, we can give so many more families hope in the coming year. Our number is 800, the letter A, and the word family. Or donate and get the book at focusonthefamily.ca. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.